For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to another episode of the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. Now, on today's episode, we have got on an awesome content creator. She's got a YouTube channel with well over 100,000 subscribers. She's an awesome socio-political commentator and an all-around interesting human being. And this is the one only Gothics. How you doing? I am doing fabulous. That was an amazing intro. Thank you so much. Fantastic. Is that the Queen's Wave right there you're doing? That is right there. You like that? I like that. I like that. So do I call you Gothics or do I call you Vanessa, first of all? Uh, you can call me either. Gothics is just better for marketing, but Vanessa <laughs> is just my name. Awesome. And where did that name come from, Gothics? That's kind of unique. Yeah. I mean, growing up, I was a goth and that was sort of my my real username was gothics model and then when once i got into streaming doing video game content i was like you know what i'll just use this name as my brand name and it i've had it for like 15 years awesome so for people who aren't familiar with who you are and what you do tell them a little bit about you yeah totally so uh as you mentioned my name is vanessa i am born and raised in rhode island uh i got my start on twitch.tv as a uh video game content creator. I also did some live improv over there uh, and built a career for myself doing that for about like three years. And now I'm just now getting into social and political commentary over on YouTube, making, I guess, think pieces, if you will. I still don't know what I'm doing. I'm just winging it, by the way. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, it's it's definitely, it's, it's different. I like it. And uh, yeah, pretty much just making content is what I do. That's awesome. And your channel has been growing really, really quickly. When did you really start taking YouTube seriously? Uh, I want to say it was honestly last year. Um, I think it was the end of September after witnessing, you know, a, a year long of COVID lockdowns and uh, peaceful protests. I said, you know what? I have a lot I'd like to speak about. Uh, so let me just dust off this YouTube channel and try making some content, see what happens. Going into it knowing I'm probably going to get a really bad response from the public. Um, but it turns out it's actually the majority of people like what I do. And I think it's uh, I think it has to do with how much society is lacking rational conversation as of mm. late. Uh, yeah. Why did you think you were going to get a negative response? Uh, so this was just from experience while I was still on Twitch doing my video game stuff, I started to see, you know, the peaceful protests and I noticed that the Twitch platform in particular, it was not very tolerant to ideas that are not progressive or left leaning. Uh, and so when these protests started, I took to Twitter and I just asked a very honest question, you know, uh, what does robbing stores have to do with 
police brutality? Like, how does that help? How does it make sense? And a lot of people did not like me having the audacity to ask that question. I thought that was a little bit ridiculous. It's just a question and it's an honest one. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I went into it just basing it off of those interactions. I can't even ask questions anymore without people getting upset. So me actually being honest and just upfront about my opinions on the state of the world would probably get me some bad comments, which, yeah, I did get some and I still get them, but I think the positive ones outweigh the negative, definitely. Mm, that's interesting. So I'm curious to know a little bit about your your background, especially as someone who now does sociopolitical commentary and talks about what's going on in the culture and what's happening in the world. What's been your own journey through that? Yeah, so to be perfectly honest with you, prior to 2020, politics, no interest to me. And to be honest with you, I still am not really interested, but I need to know what's going on. (laughs) Mm. It's unfortunately, I have to involve myself. But I would say prior to 2020, I was, uh, I guess, the way to describe it, an emotional voter, perhaps Uh, someone that thought very, I wouldn't say as emotional as a lot of, you know, these other people, but I was I still had that mindset. Like, for example, uh, one of my best friends voted for Trump. And when he when she did that the first time, my instant reaction was, you're racist. Why are you voting for a racist? You must hate me. I'm black. And that's Mm -hmm. not a logical looking back at it. That's not a logical conclusion. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I definitely think a lot more critically now than I did back then. And the only reason I'm invested in what's happening is because like, let's be real, it's kind of hard to ignore the state of the world and not question what is really happening right now. This is too much chaos going on at one time. And I'm not just buying the fact that all of a sudden, you know, everyone in the world is racist and everyone in the world is suffering from some type of systematic oppression. I I don't buy that. So I had to inform mm. myself, and that's where I am now. No doubt. Did you used to buy it? What do you say? Uh, a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. So when you you said you had a friend who voted for Trump, and then you accused them of racism, I'm kind of intrigued to, to to dig into this. Where did that come from? Why did you associate voting for Trump with racism? Uh, to be honest, I think it had to do with the media. Uh, because this person, um, they had mentioned recently because, uh, full context, we're actually, um, I'm in the process of having a documentary filmed about me, which is pretty cool. And, uh, they interviewed her for the documentary and I saw like a rough draft of it and stuff. And she mentioned in passing, uh, an email that I had sent to her, uh, after I found out that she voted for Trump. So I went the other day and looked up this email and it was I was describing things that I basically was regurgitating from CNN and I didn't even realize it back then. And I don't know, it was just like just standardized talking points. And then when I look back at the letter, I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. I don't I don't understand what I'm saying. I'm just regurgitating it. And I think a lot of people do that and don't realize it until they're actually forced to really consider how much they know about a specific topic. Mm. And what forced you to consider that on a deeper level? Um, I honestly think it was this this past year when I started to see how a lot of society was very public about their hatred towards specifically Trump supporters. Just mm-hmm. that generalizing of Trump supporters 
confused me, but it also kind of relayed my behavior back to me. And I said, is this how I was acting? This is terrible. <laughs> so it was one of those things where I'm like, I need to deprogram myself from this and lead by example by showing people that you can't just generalize a group of people based on things that you hear from a third party because these third parties might not even be on your side. It could just be like they're just playing the game. And yeah, that's that's how I see it. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. I'm, I'm always intrigued when someone's had that kind of wake up moment and then gone through that journey of, okay, wait, hang on. I had something, I had, an, I had a wrong assumption here. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. it's a it's a big shift because, you know, it's it's intriguing, especially with me, because I'm someone who's I've become more libertarian over time, but I haven't really shifted much politically throughout my lifetime. I'd say even as a child, I was not political as a child at all. Um, but if you'd sort of polled me on various issues, I guess I would have always come out center right of the spectrum. So I'm not someone who's kind of had that thing of like, oh, you know, like I used to be a lefty or a liberal and I kind of, you know, went through this journey and became more conservative. So I'm always intrigued when someone had a certain belief system or a certain set of assumptions and then something challenged that and it forced them or encouraged them to go and dig deeper into the issue. Because a lot of people don't do that. I mean, to this day, you've still got people who think, oh, everyone who voted for Trump is, is just it was just racism. Right. Or everyone, even yeah. in the UK, everyone who voted for Brexit is because they're racist and, you know, they they hate immigrants. Right. There's still people who it's kind of a cope. Right. Because it means that you don't have to deal with anything complicated. You can just say, oh, you know what? 50 percent, 50 percent of the country is just evil and hateful. That's it. <laughs> and that's it. Right. It's simple. Right? You know, it's good versus evil. It's that simple. I'm on the good side of good. They're on the side of bad. Done. Um, but then of course, if you interact with people in the real world and you have people, you know, like your friend, this is a friend, right? You know, this is a good person, right? You know that they're a good person. So you'd think that would tell people, okay, well, it can't be that simple because you've got a friend or a family member or whatever who, you know, is a good person and they did vote that way, or they do believe in that thing. So doesn't that sort of indicate to you? that um, it's not that simple, but then some people would rather just <laughs> cancel those friends and get rid of those friendships rather than actually take a moment to be like, ah, okay, why why did you vote for Trump? You know, let me, let me not just assume it's for the worst reason. It could possibly be because that's what the media said. Let me understand, okay, why do you hold that position? And you don't need to agree, right? It could yeah. just be like, okay, cool. You know what? I still don't like him or whatever, but I get where you're coming from. Um, so really I'm saying that to kind of shout out to you for, I respect anyone who's able to do that because it takes a level of humility and honesty and curiosity as well, just to be, oh, okay. I was, I was wrong about something, <laughs> you know, yeah. people don't like doing that. Yeah. Thank you. And, 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 and then when it happened to me with my friends this past year, I thought the same thing. I'm like, we've had such a close friendship. So in my head, if, the, if I was in this position, I would be thinking at this point, well, why would they do this? Are they really just a terrible person? Or is there a reason why they decided to vote the way that they did? And it's it's crazy that pretty much everyone that stopped being my friend never bothered to have that discussion with themselves. Um, and but but there is one thing that I will say is that I think the peer pressure from society, whether it's like the media or all of your friends doing the same thing 
also contributes to people behaving in the way that they do. Because even with me, I've uh, I felt that kind of pull from peer pressure where I would change my uh, opinions on things without even realizing it. Like, for example, uh, there's this narrative that, uh, you know, it's uh, it's harder for black content creators to succeed and when I started doing content creation, I didn't have that idea in my head, but someone planted that in my head. Mm. And then, you know, a few months after I started getting uh, into streaming, I, you know, I, I can go back and look at tweets and the way that I was advertising myself was sort of like, look at me, I'm a black woman, <laughs> come support me. It was, that was my shtick, I'm a black woman. Gotcha. And then once I started to grow as a creator, I realized this, this isn't really true. This, this rhetoric isn't true. So I dropped that, but it was, a, that's one of those instances where I just felt that, that pressure of, of misery, like, hey, we're miserable and we want you to think just like us so you can also be miserable. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it really is. And that's something else that you you talk about a lot in your videos is the whole racial narrative, right? Especially in the USA, that's something that, you know, we have it in the UK, but the USA is way more race obsessed <laughs> than the UK is, you know, it's, you know, we've got black Americans, white Americans, Asian Americans, what, you know, you'll notice in the UK, people just say British, right? Like people don't yeah. say, oh, you know, Zuby's black British or African British, it's just right. British, you know, we don't say Asian British, white British, unless someone's doing like a census form or something. But those are not, that's not common terminology. And to the degree that it is, it's largely imported from the USA. So people like to import these racial narratives from the USA. Now they want to import critical race theory and kind of adopt this way of thinking. But there's more, it's just not so much embedded in the culture here. And it always sort of intrigues me when I do see those sort of narratives. Or like you said, people say, oh, you know, if you're a black, then you got to you got to work three times harder or 10 times harder, which I've always found interesting, by the way, because I'm always like, well, how would you even know that? You know, have you been white before? Right. How do right. you know how hard? <laughs> right. it's sort of this notion that, you know, every white person just sort of shows up and all of a sudden, you know, they're like they have a huge they're just successful in whatever. And right. I'm like, well, that's not real life, is it? You know, <laughs> last time I checked, um, last time I checked, I was actually doing really well. Um, and so are lots of my black friends. And I've seen a lot of white people who are, you know, I'm not convinced that it's, uh, you know, they have it 10 times easier. You know, if, so, if someone wanted to say like mm, 10% or something, I'd be like, mm, maybe I can entertain that possibly. But when someone's like, you know, it's three times harder, it's 10 times harder, maybe, you know, it's hyperbole. But I don't know. I I think it's uh, it, I think it's a narrative that actually holds people back. You know, in many yes. in many ways. Right? I think it's I think there's this weird thing that happens where you know a lot of black people. Let me be honest, and I think this can this can happen with any um, minority or any group who society looks at as being disadvantaged in some way. It could be women. You know, women are not a minority, but it could be women. It could be you know black people, uh, just non-white people in general. People who are what you know. And it creates this, how would I put it? Because, uh, you know, I always think like if you feel the game is rigged, then you're less likely to play it to the best of your ability. Right. Because there's not much point. So if you go into the game thinking, oh, okay, you know, the system is already against me, then I think that actually causes a lot of people to not even try. Um, and I think actually that holds back a lot of people because they have this assumption that, oh, well, you know, the game is rigged anyway. 
So, you know, if, if I'm playing a, a sports match against someone or something and, you know, the referee's totally biased and is on their side, right? I, I'm like, well, what's the point in playing this game? Because, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go as hard. So I think people kind of give up sometimes before they've really tried. And then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because then they'll say, oh, well, you know, um, that was because of systemic racism or, you know, you know, it's just so hard for a woman or so hard for a black. It's like, you know what, if you didn't have those, all those assumptions and you just went in there, like the truth is in 2021, most people do not care. (laughs) People people don't care. If you're dope and you make good stuff and you add value to the world, people don't care if you are straight, gay, uh, trans, lesbian, black, brown, white, atheist, Christian, like people don't care, like make dope content and you'll be good. Right. And I think I also it pains me to say this. I think a lot of people have a very entitled mindset. I think they 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 assume because I think I'm doing good stuff. That must be true. And Mm -hmm. that's not always true. And one pattern that I've seen from, you know, just looking in the content creator space of people who are black that complain that they're not seeing success. A lot of them kind of regurgitate this narrative of I am black, therefore that is the reason I'm not getting success. And the successful people that I see who share the same skin color as I do, don't talk about that stuff. So I think sometimes it comes down to a, a matter of your your mindset and also just your, your attitude. Uh, and people don't consider that. They just, what do you mean something's wrong with my attitude? Well, imagine always hearing this, I'm sorry, this pitiful a script. So, you know, I can't do this because I'm black. It's like this invisible ceiling that I don't want to pity you. I, I just, I want to watch your content. I want to see your good content. If I think if people just stopped focusing on the exterior and actually focused on the things that matter and we'd be good. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's interesting because it's something we do as human beings, right? I think, cause we're, we're all this, we are at the center of our own individual world. And people have their own insecurities and hang-ups, and they have so much knowledge about themselves even that I think when people are kind of going around online or offline, they assume that everyone else is like analyzing them in that. So I'm like, dude, the reality is most people don't care about you. Like most people, they're in their own head. They're not looking at you like, hmm, she's a woman. <laughs> and she's black and she's got a nose ring and she's this and she's got like, like, they're not looking at you that hard. They're just like, they're just seeing people, right? right. Unless so- something causes them to, you know, really pay attention to you. Like people are in their own heads. And I think that's how the mindset, you know, people have this self-defeating mindset where thinking, oh, everyone's, you know, looking at me like this or that. I'm like, dude, that's your own, that's your own hang up. Unless you're living in some crazy backwards place where okay people are genuinely like very genuinely bigoted um you know which may exist but if you're in the west uk usa canada whatever probably pretty hard to find a whole area like that there might be an individual and even that individual doesn't really care about you even if they have some bias or prejudice in their head as long as they're not there trying to railroad you and block you from living your life and being happy you know people are kind of people don't like it when i say this but People are sort of, and I believe people are entitled to their prejudices, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't mean that it's good or that they should act upon them. But if they have like some thought in their head, if I'm walking down the street, oh, and there actually is some guy who in his brain is like, ooh, you know, big, scary black guy or something. I don't, number one, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> but right. even even if they are thinking it, it's like, 
I don't care unless like, if he comes and you know says something to, something to me or attacks me. Like that's a different story. But if it's just like in his head, it's like okay, you know, you're wrong, but like you're allowed to you're allowed to have your prejudice. You know, just don't let that manifest in the real world. Exactly. That's that's the exact way that I. I view it. I, I live on just like live and let live principles. And I understand that people, there's always going to be a, a supply of people that just don't like you for one reason or another. And when, if we were to tackle racism on top of that, let's say someone calls me the N word. Okay. And <laughs> like, what, what could you logically do in that situation? Are you just going to be combative with every single person that you encounter throughout your life that says something mean or harsh to you? I can't be bothered with that. I have mm. things to do. And I think when people hear that, they think, oh, you're downplaying racism or you're ignoring racism. I'm just, I'm realistic. And I understand that the world is ugly. It has flaws and there is no utopia. And for you to uh, try to get rid of one problem, you're just going to create another set of problems. Of all the content you've put out there, what's been the thing that's gotten the biggest reaction? Hmm. I think, I think all of the stuff that I've made has different types of reactions. Uh, and they're all unique in their own way. But I think the one that might have pissed people off the most was my video on race hustlers. And okay. um, yeah, I get a lot, of, a lot of comments in that. Like people don't want to consider uh the reality that there are people out there that make a living exploiting other people's trauma pain mm. you know and you know like we saw with you know we got black lives matter over here buying mansions and it's not quite matching up to the narrative of what the movement is supposed to do mm -hmm. uh that's a hard pill to swallow, especially if you spent a good portion of last year protesting, marching, you know, virtue signaling. No one wants to feel like they've been deceived. And I and I get that. Um, so I think all of my videos kind of do that. But the ones in particular uh, dealing with like black issues where, where I point out things that are happening within black American culture, uh, those usually get the most angry responses. Mm. And who are the angry responses from primarily? Is there a certain black black leftists okay. and white leftists? <laughs> <laughs> I was, I, I, was guess, I was thinking, but I didn't want to make an assumption. <laughs> yes, yes, and and the white leftists are the most inappropriate comments I get more than the black because I can at least understand from the black perspective uh, just being derogatory towards another black person like I am used to this I, I I have been called every name in the book but then when you have someone who is white that is claiming to be against racism but is overtly racist towards me because they've somehow gotten the free pass from black leftists that's where things get really dicey and it happens a lot. And it's like, you do you not see your hypocrisy? Do you not? Yeah. yeah. Was that new to you? Did that surprise you? This is new to me. This is new to me. Okay. I got political <laughs> commentators on YouTube calling me white supremacists. Okay. Oh, okay. okay welcome, so it's, Welcome it's, to the party. Welcome to the party. Yes. It's very new to me. I don't understand it. <laughs> it's a very weird space. Do you know what's really interesting is because like I said, because I've always been someone who's leaned more conservative, mm -hmm. uh, I've been very aware of this for like well over a decade, 
right? Because mm. um, there are a lot of people who, in the in the mainstream world, there's this narrative that racism is a right wing thing, and I've for a long time I've been like, no, it is absolutely not. Even for my teenage years, I was like, no, it is not. It it might have like different flavors, you know, like it might it might come across in a different way, but I'm like, it's it's just it's just not. But I think it's only in recent times where more and more people are starting to see what I've been talking about. When I'm like, okay, well, disagree with that per like disagree with that person and see see what the response is. Right. Like if you if you disagree with if you disagree with a white conservative and you disagree with a white leftist, like the white leftist in general is, is more likely to bring out the racial epithets and the slurs. They're more likely to actually not truly see you as an equal with your own mind and your own ideas, your own ability to vote, whatever. It's like this. There's the combination of the bigotry of low expectations and then this kind of like I know better i know more about what it's like to be black than you do despite Mm. never having been for a day um i don't truly view you as an equal because i've got this thing called white privilege and you're actually kind of you're actually kind of beneath me you person of color um you know you bipoc and (laughs) there's this real like sort of i don't want to say this is everybody right but especially amongst like the more kind of like woke progressive end it's very you know i often say they talk as if black people are like pets yeah. You know, like you're not supposed to go off script. And if you do, you know, they'll be the one telling you to educate yourself. And I'm like, right. The, the audacity. of that. Really? <laughs> kinda, You know, you know what I mean? I'm like, kind of like, come on, you know. Um, and then there's just this lack of self-awareness. It's very rare for someone like that to take a minute and go, actually, wait, hang on. I just called a black person a white supremacist. Like, yeah. maybe, maybe my maybe I'm in the wrong. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah, it's uh, and and I, I get it all the time, too. Whenever I talk about the left, people think I'm always picking on them. But like, like I've been vote a, a, a Democrat voter pretty much my entire life. Like the Democrat, you know, vicinity is just what I'm used to. I, mm-hmm. I've I always avoided people that were conservative or Republican, just straight up Republican, like the plague because of what I heard from other people. Yes. And uh, and so I think that part of the issue is, is that people that are kind of entrenched in this sort of leftist ideology don't even realize what's happening because th- they've sort of normalized it. Like if I go back and I watch, for example, uh, CNN talking about, uh, I don't know, Senator Tim Scott or something like that from years ago, they'll say the most racist things on television and it's fine. It's just mm. normal. No one bats an eye. And and I only noticed this when I pulled myself out of that environment and objectively started looking at things. And I think that's I think when you start to see a pattern of, you know, a lot of people on the left just being uh, normalizing racism while pointing blame at the other side, that's something up with the ideology that people need to pay attention to. You know, we can say that, oh, it's both sides that do it. Yeah, there's racism on both sides. But when there is a big pattern, mm-hmm. you have to start looking at, okay, what is the ideology? Where are these people picking up these things? And and why is it in their head okay to behave in the way that they do? It, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. The thing that frustrates me with, you know, what I'll call the, you know, like left wing racism is that people get away with it. Right. It's not like, 
the let me I don't even like using the terms the left and the right, but the right polices its racism a lot better. Right. So if, yeah. you know, no one on the right was standing with those, you know, because if people always be like, oh, well, what about Charlottesville? I'm like, bro, everybody, every conservative, every prominent conservative condemned that. The people weren't there like saying, oh, you know, oh, yeah, what happened to Charlottesville? Like that was fine. Right. And the fact people even have to reach back that far for it. But it's like people were not OK with that. People weren't saying, oh, actually, yeah, we're going to defend these guys. We're going to stand with them, whatever. But on the opposite end. People are less willing to, you know, draw that line or call things out as long as it, the person that they're being racist towards. Um, or this goes also for sexism. This also goes for homophobia, all, all the phobias and isms. If it's directed at someone who's on the right side of the political spectrum, then it's like, mm, actually, that's that's all right. You know, like we'll be we'll be OK with that. I, I, even if we don't condemn it, like we'll just be either at best, we'll be quiet. Um, at worst, we'll actually you know, encourage it. And that's how you end up with, uh, you know, people throwing out these, these terms at each other. And I'm just kind of like, wow, okay, this is very hypocritical. And the fact that this is normalized, or, you know, even if you're now talking about what's been happening in certain institutions in academia, this push of, you know, so-called critical race theory, and these ideas of going back to viewing people based on the color of their skin and, you know, segregating dorm rooms in universities and this and that. I'm just like, guys, because um, I oftentimes I just think, OK, what if what if right wingers did this? Right. Mm -hmm. So remember when they had the whole like Chaz Chop autonomous zone in Portland? Yeah. Can you imagine if that was a group of Trump supporters? Oh, we lit lit literally <laughs> took over a part of the city, created an <laughs> autonomous zone, yeah. which is right, which was racially segregated. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, this would, they would drop a bomb on it. Like, they would blow up. The house. Yes. <laughs> Not even think twice. It would be done. <laughs> and they just let them go for weeks. I was like, this is, this is crazy, man. This is the oh. uh, double standard here. That's, yeah, it's crazy. And yeah, critical race theory is, is a whole different monster. Mm. I actually just got done with a very, underwhelming debate on my channel where I debated two pro-critical race theory intellectuals uh, whom were white. And okay. I don't really like bringing race into things, but I think it's very important to acknowledge that if we're talking about white supremacy and, you know, equality and all this stuff, the irony of having two white men tell a black woman, hey, this is what you need. <laughs> You need uh. this because we know what's better for you. <laughs> yeah, it, it's so it's so strange. And it's it's so strange to me when people just don't see the the irony or the hypocrisy in some of these things. You'd think you'd just be like, hmm, hang mm -hmm. on. Let me, you know, like this and this happens in different fields, you know, when people start calling, you know, I don't know, Ben Shapiro a Nazi. Yeah. Mm, because that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, you you you'd think you'd be like, wait, hang on. Um, I'm calling a Jewish guy, is a like a well-known Orthodox practicing Jew who wears a yarmulke, who actually has ancestors who, um, you know, perished in the Holocaust. I'm calling him. And maybe I'm wrong. You know, like maybe. <laughs> or okay, I'm I'm here lecturing a black woman as a white guy about what she should think about you know being a black woman or white supremacy it's like, maybe i should mm, 
maybe maybe I should like just be a little bit quiet here and you know just kind of listen and have some humility and understand oh actually maybe maybe she doesn't share my perspective on this not because she has some sort of internalized uh racism or sexism but because she has her own mind and views and right. you know <laughs> yeah but a lot of people don't do that no they they don't or they just call me Candace Owens after the debate <laughs> so which is which is, you know, and you know, that is one of the most common insults that I get from white people. Uh, mm -hmm. They they compare me to uh, black conservatives that they vilified for one reason or another. It's usually yes. Candace Owens. Mm -hmm. uh, I am myself. I don't strive to be anyone. I'm sorry if I gave off that impression. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's it's just like it's so I don't know. It's so it's so bizarre. I, I don't even know how we got to this this point <laughs> sometimes i just wonder like okay <laughs> yeah it's because people don't get checked on it that's really yeah. that's literally why it is that's kind of what i was saying so you know more on the right like if someone does say something that's like you know like legitimately racist people will be like yo no like yeah, no. right like right um you know when there are with someone actually promoting like some form of legit white supremacy or white nationalism like people are like no man like no right um but that doesn't really happen so much it's a bit like how it's a bit like how Antifa gets away with what they do. Right. Right. right? If Antifa was a right, if there was like a right wing equivalent of Antifa that was literally, you know, setting fire to buildings, bombing places, like creating autonomous zones and very, right. People are, they'll get shut down so quickly by their own side. Even people would be like, no, like, no, you can't do that. It won't just be like, oh, well, you know, they're angry and they've got a good name. They're called anti, they're called anti-fascist. So right. it's, it's okay. You know, it, it's in the it's, name. Duh. It's, it's just an idea. You know, as Biden said, you know, anti it's just an idea. And so they all sort of, they, they all quietly, you know, some people will openly support them, but a lot of people will excuse and, you know, turn a blind eye to what they're doing. And so I think that's how, it gets to that level because no one has actually just put them in their place and been like, yo, um, I mean, I've, I've put a lot of people in their place. Like, that. <laughs> I actually quite enjoy it. Like when people, you know, when it goes to a certain level, yeah. I'm like, all right, I'm good. I got to air this person out because oh, yeah, they're, yeah. they're way out of order here, you know? Yeah. Um, and I can see that no one's ever done this to them before. Like no one's right. ever just said, yo, you're, you know, like, <laughs> let me tell right. you about yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I try, I try. I try not to do that because I, <laughs> in my head, I understand like if someone's yelling at me or cussing me out, like I, I'm not receptive to that. That's not going to make me want to engage with them. Yeah. So in my head, I'm like, OK, I try to be as neutral as possible, even though they're combative or nasty. Mm. I'm just going to try to be as neutral and just kill them with kindness. But sometimes <laughs> you got, sometimes you got to just, you know, just use your yeah. voice a little bit and you, you know what the the ironic thing about this is that even these individuals that I debated on critical race theory when after after the fact they're calling me Candace Owens on Twitter, that interaction <laughs> alone, right? That interaction alone should be enough proof to show you that critical race theory or ending racism will never mm -hmm. happen. It, it's not going to work. It's a pipe dream because you are being hateful towards me because i uh, apparently am a black woman that doesn't think in the manner that you want me 
two perhaps and then if i get you know racist remarks from other black people who shield behind the whole black people can't be racist excuse that right there is proof that racism will never go away because people aren't treating it like it's a serious issue because if you were serious about it you would hold yourself to the same standards as everyone else would you not mm. <laughs> so it's uh, yeah just people's actions alone tell me that it th th that is why racism will never go away yeah, for real. And a lot of people don't want it to. That's the truth. That is yeah. literally the truth, right? You were talking about race hustlers in that video and they need it. It's a multi-billion dollar industry, right? If not racism, then the illusion of it, it's literally, mm -hmm. it's profitable, right? If that disappeared, then what would all these activists and authors and people who have dedicated their whole life and who are earning six, seven figure incomes from stoking all of these tensions and stirring these pots what are they going to do, right? They're, they're toast. So I think people need want to keep it alive for two reasons. Number one for that. But then also, I think for some people, it's, it's like a, it's a permanent alibi. It's a permanent excuse, right? If you can always blame something on systemic racism or institutional racism, or, you know, it goes beyond race, you know, the, the patriarchy or this or that heteronormativity. It's like a permanent excuse for your own failings, right? Because anytime yeah. you fail, you can just say, oh, well, it was that thing it was that ghost i mean and these terms are even very annoying because at least if you're talking about direct individual racism people know what that means and it's clear and it's targeted and it's focused but if someone just says systemic racism structural racism institutional racism and you ask them okay well which system which structure which institution mm -hmm. and you know they they never have this they play this whole game this linguistic yep. game where you can never actually find the problem it's this ghost that's permeate, mm -hmm. permeates everywhere. That's the critical race there, right? Hey, racism is everywhere. Yes. And it's up to you to find it and to call it out and to do the work to, you know, get rid yes. of this ghost. But the ghost can't be killed because it's a ghost and it's always there. Yeah. And uh, that's that's something that I've always tried doing with people is when I see people complaining about systemic racism, you know. What I found is that a lot of people are just regurgitating this narratives of, of systemic racism. They have not experienced it themselves, so they don't even know someone who experienced it. It's just the news or their friends mention it, and now they're just repeating it. So when I, say, I see someone like that, I'll ask them, have you yourself experienced systemic racism? And they'll usually say, oh, not me, but what about someone else? I don't care about someone else. I have yet to find someone that can actually pinpoint how systemic racism has affected their life. Mm. Because what I want to do in that conversation is sort of reverse engineer what, what happened. So if they're saying that, for example, systemic racism prevented me from uh, getting this job, I'd be like, okay, what happened at the job interview? And why did this happen? Because sometimes, actually, I'll say a lot of the times, it's personal choice. It's just yes. bad decisions. And people want to evade personal responsibility, which sounds really harsh, but that's the truth. Um, because I'm someone who is a high school dropout. I was homeless for a little bit. I did not have the best upbringing. Mm -hmm. So I find it weird that me and people in worse situations than I have been able to pull ourselves out of bad predicaments and be fine in life. Meanwhile, we have other people that are blaming everyone in the system for all their problems. I don't get it. And and I, and I know it's BS because how many times have these people complaining seeked mentorship from the people that are doing good? 
You know what I mean? Like I've never had people approach me and say, hey, you're growing so much on YouTube. Can you show me how to grow on YouTube? No, they'll just get on Twitter and complain that I'm tap dancing for the white man. Like that's of course, not, of course. Th that's not how you're fixing it. You're not serious. And, and I think it's just, it's an ego thing sometimes. Mm, it is. I mean, you know why they attack you, right? Well, it's clearly because I'm tap dancing. <laughs> <laughs> you're not doing the moves right. No, it's because it's because you're like you hold up a mirror to them. Yeah. Right. You hold up a mirror to them because you coming from your background and, you know, being a black woman, you know, who is supposed to be according to the rules of this game. Right. You're supposed to be doubly, triply oppressed, perhaps. All right. Um, and so if you're successful then it really highlights other people's failings. Like if you were not successful, then you fit the narrative, right? And they can be like, oh, well, right? See, you know, black women can't do X, Y, Z because look, like, you know, they're not doing it. But if someone does do it, there's sort of two responses to that. Number one, you can be inspired and be motivated and react positively and be like, oh, awesome, cool. Like they're actually paving the way and this is, you know, it's good that that's breaking the narrative. Or people get mad because it's breaking the narrative and it's like, oh, wait, hang on. Um, that makes me that makes me look bad. It's a bit like if someone's, um, you know, like if someone's really out of shape and then this even happens in relationships. Like if there's a relationship where like uh, there's a boyfriend and a girlfriend and they're both out of shape and one of them gets in good shape and the other one does not, you can normally put a countdown timer on that relationship. Mm. I've seen this many, many times because it makes the other person feel very insecure and uncomfortable. If they both lose weight, it's all good. If they both stay fat, it's all good. If one of them stays fat and the other one loses weight, then they don't like that. They don't like that. The res resistance comes from the other person because it shows them. It's like, oh, well, when we were both fat, I was comfortable with that because, you know, th there was no, my flaws were not really being shown, but and, 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 and if that by you losing weight, all my excuses are gone, right? I was there saying, oh, it's, it's my genetics or it's the stuff they put in the food or it's the advertising or it's this or that. But then it's like, oh, well, someone that close to you managed to do it. So right. what's your excuse, buddy? And people don't like that. All right. And I don't know why, because that's a part of life. That's that's how you get better. That's how you grow. Uh, I, I doubt everyone knew instantly how to do th something the first time that they tried it they probably have to get better at it so i find it odd that a lot of people try to avoid this sort of you know tough love because that's ultimately how you learn how you get better do, do you want to suck the rest of your life if so then just keep ignoring that but i mean I, I don't know i want people to be able to give me that criticism so i can and grow and and uh yeah it's just it's disappointing i don't know mm, I, and yeah. i wonder if it has something to do with upbringing too Probably, probably, you know, it's, I always say the most important thing is mindset. You know, if you show me somebody's mindset, then if I know someone's mindset, then I know what tr life trajectory they're on, regardless yeah. of what they start from, whether they start rich or they start poor, or, you know, regardless of race, gender, ethnicity, whatever, if they have a, what I call a winner mindset, then given enough time, they will win, they will be successful, and they will be happy. If they don't, even if they're coming from a, you know, with the odds in their favor, if they have that loser mentality, they're not going to succeed and they're not going to be happy. Um, it's just a given. And so I, to me, everything begins with mindset. 
Like you could take, again, you know, using that analogy, right? You can take two people who are overweight or even obese, okay? And if one of them has the mindset of, you know what? I don't like this. I'm going to do something about it and I'm going to commit to it and I'm going to do it. And they, they're truly on that. You know, okay, within a year, this person's going to look completely different. Mm -hmm. And if the other person has the mentality of, you know, this isn't my fault. It's the fault of this. It's the fault of that. They're just making excuses and they don't want to get to the gym. They don't want to eat better, whatever. They're just making every excuse, you know, okay, in a year, this person's going to look the same, if not fatter. And Mindset's not permanent. It can always be changed. Um, right. But until people change it, you can predict what trajectory they're going to be on. And when you look at successful people, they're not haters. Right? <laughs> like they're right. not haters. They're people who will see success. And I mean, before we jumped on this podcast, I was like, yo, congrats on your YouTube growth. Right. Like I've been watching and I love it. It's not even it's not my channel. And I'm like, yo, I love seeing this. I've got lots of friends with, you know, when I see people growing on Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, I'm like, yo, congratulations on 100K. Well done. You hit 50K. 10K. Awesome. Well done. Right. And I genuinely, it's genuine. It's not forced. Like I genuinely, I'm happy for that. But with some people, they think everything is a zero sum game. Mm -hmm. So by you having 100,000 subscribers, that's taking away from me. Right. By you achieving this or you making more money, that that's me making less money or by you doing that. That's and, and that's not how life There's very few situations where that's the case in life. Right. There's a lot of different games you can play and actually everybody can be successful. But I think that resentment is when people think that the only way you can succeed or get rich or be successful is by taking away from them. Oh, that guy's dating a hot girl. Oh, she she would have dated me if it weren't for him. So I'm going to hate on him now. And it's yeah. like, no, it doesn't work like that. Like, <laughs> you know, um, and if, if the, the, the person with the right mentality would be like, oh, you know what? Why don't you talk to that guy and be like, yo, dude, how did you get such a hot girl, man? Right. See the guy with the Lambo the guy comes up in a Lambo. Some people would be like, oh, he's compensating. He's got a small penis. Mm -hmm. Other people are like, hmm, what does that guy do? What does yep. that guy do? Right. Can I get some? He's got a Lambo. I want a Lambo. Let me talk to him. Right. Like that's my approach. Right? Well, Let me, he might know something that I don't. Oh, this girl's grown 100K on YouTube in six months. Let me send her a DM and see, hey, you know, I'm starting out. Can what did you do to grow? Can you help me, et cetera? Right. You know, can I interview you on my channel? That's the different mentality there. Yeah, I uh, it, I really started paying attention to that type of mentality uh, when I started to make the transition over to YouTube. Um, because a lot of people weren't happy with me doing that. Uh, apparently, I'm just supposed to play video games the rest of my life and just make jokes and that's it. That's just what I do. Uh, so when I started talking about more serious stuff, a lot of people's perception about me started to shift. And I want to say the bulk of individuals that were really hostile towards me were those that I had previously uh, offered advice for on how to grow in the creator space. People oh. that I had either coached or there was this one person in, in particular that emailed me maybe two years ago asking me for advice on how to acquire sponsorships. And and in the email, they were like, oh, I see you're sponsored by blank company. And, you know, that's so cool. And asking for advice. I'm like, all right, cool. This is awesome. I love helping people. Right. And then when it came to YouTube and I started taking off for my problematic views, this same person gets on social media and starts 
tagging that same sponsor uh, to get me dropped wow. from my contract. Yeah. Uh, and so going back to what you said earlier about kind of just like, you know, putting someone in their place, I had to do that. So I took that screenshot and I tweeted at them. I said, oh, weren't you the person that emailed me a few years ago asking for advice on how to get a sponsorship and now you're trying to get my sponsorship to drop me? Mm. Yeah. She deleted her account. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the, the, the receipts. Yeah. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. <laughs> yeah, the receipts. I, I've had that before. Um, no, some, sometimes it's even in the same DM thing because someone will DM you a few years ago and then, you know, if they DM you again, it, like the old one is still up there. Yeah. So <laughs> I've had ones where, you know, someone sent me something very like positive and complimentary, like in I don't know, 2019. And then I get another one and I'm like, oh, wait, hang on. I scroll up and I'm like, oh, I had one guy like <laughs> 2019 messaging me about how much he likes my music and how dope what I'm doing is or whatever. Then I got another one. He literally was telling me my music sucks and I should stop rapping and whatever. I, I literally I scroll up and I'm, like, <laughs> and I'm like, bro, you can disagree with my politics, but let's not pretend that my I suddenly suck at rapping because you don't agree with my politics anymore. That's so stupid. Yeah, and I don't think people realize that they do that. Yeah, no, it's it's weird, and it, and it's also another another thing that I kind of had trouble with adjusting, and I think I'm gonna have to adjust more to it now with me growing a lot on YouTube. Is when I was on Twitch, a lot of people, uh, you know, I would go to uh, this thing called TwitchCon, which is like an event just for streamers on that particular platform. And there was a lot of people that would run up to me and like, oh, my God, Gothics, can I take a picture with you? Like, I'd have so many people just wanting to take photo ops. And then after I made the transition to YouTube uh, and announced that I voted for Trump, instantly, I want to say 90% of the people I took <laughs> photos with were just like, I hate her. I'm like, wow. And so that makes me think either you didn't know much about me, but you were so infatuated with me, whether it's because of my numbers or because you thought I was going to help you grow on Twitch or whatever, or um, I, I don't know what I, I can never imagine dropping someone just because of who they voted for. I, I it's it's so weird to me. But yeah, so now it's like I have to get kind of used to this whole thing of people that may like me may not really like me. So it's it's a matter of trying to find a balance of I want to get to know my audience, but also kind of keep them at a distance because I've already done this before. Yeah, yeah. Do you, do you know the secret to that, though, is truly being yourself? Yeah. Truly being yourself, right? Like I <laughs> one trick I do, and I don't know if people are people are pro- aren't probably aware of this, but one thing I do, especially on Twitter, is I will say things that like I want everyone who follows me to disagree with me on some things, right? Mm-hmm. So I will intentionally sometimes say something that I'm like, all right, I actually want – because I, I like to see how people respond to disagreement, right? If I say one thing you disagree with and you're like, oh, unfollowed. Like I don't – I used to like you, but you said one thing out of 100,000 that I don't like, unfollow, right? If you're like that, then I'm like, okay, well, I don't want you here. Like you, you weren't a real fan to begin with, right? If I go say one thing you don't like – and all of a sudden you don't like me anymore, you were never a real fan, friend, whatever it is. If you can, if you can, we can disagree and you can be like, mm, I don't agree with this one, but I still like you, then I'm like, okay, cool, right? That's not a fair weather person because they're not just there for you to be their mouthpiece. They actually like and respect you and your own opinions. And I think a big mistake a lot of creators make is they, they um, paint themselves into a corner where they are then held hostage by their own audience. 
And people can do this in a lot of different areas. I mean, as a musician, for example, I've had people ask me, you know, I am a Christian and I've had people ask me, why, why do you not label and market yourself as a Christian rapper? And actually one reason for that is because it's putting myself, there's a couple reasons for it, but it, it's putting myself into a box where actually I can then even be held hostage by my own audience. Because then if I make a song where I, I don't mention Jesus or I don't, you know, mention something overtly religious, then, or even maybe I make a song with an artist who's, you know, secular. And all of a sudden people are attacking me now because I'm not doing exactly what they want. And I don't like that. It's also why I don't associate myself actually with any political organization, right? I'm not a member of any political party. I don't, you know, I will collaborate with people, but I'm not like the mouthpiece of this group or this organization or this whatever, because then you're, you're, you're forced into that box. And if you, they disagree with something you say, or you disagree with one of their positions or something, it becomes very weird and awkward because then you're just supposed to toe this line and you can end up in this situation. That's how people get canceled, right? They get canceled because they create a certain audience. And then as soon as they deviate, you know, they get turned on. And yeah. so one thing I really love about my audience is that that virtually cannot happen. I can't get canceled because my audience would not cancel me. The only way I could get canceled is if I became like really fake. <laughs> <laughs> like if, if I actually like went super woke and I started going against all my ideals or whatever, you know, or I started like, I don't know, shilling, I start shilling masks and like vaxes to myself. I think the way you're building your audience now, I think you're going to be um, pretty cancel proof. Yeah, I, I wish I had done that from the get because I'm not a different person. I just self-censored myself at the beginning because I just had these invisible rules in my head. Just don't talk about things that people would normally fight about. But that's not my responsibility. You know what I mean? I should be able to talk about things without people acting irrationally. Uh, so I'm I'm doing that now and I'm seeing the results of me doing that now. And I, I just wish I went into this earlier with a different mindset. No doubt. Well, at least you've at least you've done it now. It, it's it's a great position to be where you can literally be yourself and be honest and be open and actually speak your mind. And that rewards you rather than punishes you yeah 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 it's good yeah it's very good um and and I, know, and I know people paint themselves in these corners i've had so many messages dms emails from people in all sorts of spaces tech entertainment um you know corporate whatever where you know there's they're, they're essentially being held hostage now right like they're not mm -hmm. even, <laughs> they're like Zuby, i voted for trump but I, like i can't tell you <laughs> There's people who uh, there's people who follow me on Twitter, but they don't actually follow me because they're so scared that people will see that they're following that scary Zuby guy and uh. they're going to be, you know, judged or canceled literally just for following me or liking my tweets. So I actually have way more followers than it shows because some people won't hit that follow button because they're that scared. And that shows where we are. That's understandable. I've I've had some messages like that where people were, will uh, give me praise and DMs. And then I'm like, how come you don't do this publicly? <laughs> I mean, thank you, but like, why not public? <laughs> it's so crazy. It's like, um, you know, like Ben Shapiro has all these like 
lefty and liberal friends mm-hmm. who like won't be seen with him in public like for them to meet each other they have to you know like they they can't they won't take photos together and stuff not because he cares but because like they don't want to get canceled and that's, that's so weird i can't i can't live weird. like that i can't no 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 me neither so what have you got uh what have you got coming up next are you just going to be focusing on your youtube channel you said you've got a, a documentary coming out yeah, so uh, a small company reached out to me a few months ago uh, before I even hit 100K on YouTube uh, saying that they wanted to make a documentary about my journey, pretty much. And so that's, I, I believe that's done filming, uh, unless something else is going to happen, but it's done filming and the, and they're um, editing right now. So I think they said they're going to try to get it out this year. Um, aside from that, I am going to start making more content and also... Uh, just kind of branching my voice out into different areas because I think my shtick is going to fall back on culture. I'm really interested in culture in general and the way that people think and and make decisions and stuff. I really like that. So uh, I'm trying to build just a small team of people to kind of help me with the production uh, because I really want to go f- far with this. I'm I'm definitely new to this sort of commentating space, but I don't know. I like it. And I think it's due. I, I think it's time that more voices pop up because I've been seeing what's been brewing in the political YouTube space for a few years and I'm not impressed. <laughs> so uh, not just saying just me, but in general, like I'm seeing a lot of new creators start using their voice all of a sudden and I'm I'm loving it. So I'm here for the ride. Awesome. No doubt. You're 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 going to be successful. Like I say, you you've got the mindset. You just maintain that and just keep going and, you know, you've already hit success but it's it's guaranteed it's going to just keep growing you just got to keep good keep going thank you thank you and it's really by the way it's really odd that i'm having this conversation with you because i will say one amazing thing that came out of all of this weird polarizing that we've been seeing in society after elections is that i've met a lot of amazing people within the last year and you were someone that i would watch your content all the time hear your music and i'm like this guy is dope and I'm having a conversation with you right now. And I think that it's a sign of just that winner's mindset, not, you know, always focused on skin color or the oppression and stuff like that. I think it, if you let that go and just let it be, oh, it's so much fun, so much better. Yes. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you for inviting me on your channel. You're so welcome. It's been so good to speak to you. And where can people for people listening, where can they follow you online? Yeah, so you can follow me at Gothics TV on YouTube. I also have a podcast which I interviewed Zuby on called Subtweet This, also on YouTube. Uh, but you can find me there and also uh, Twitter at Gothics TV. Awesome. Gothics, so good to talk to you. Hey, thank you so much. You as well. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the grand, stunt me destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.